Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to do something this morning that in all the years of teaching this Bible study that I have never done before. You ready? Anybody know what it is? I'm going to skip two verses. In all the, all the chapters, all the books of the Bible that we have ever gone through together, and now we're, we're probably six or seven books together in this, I'm going to skip two verses this morning. So I encourage you to go back and read verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5. I'm not telling you they're insignificant. I'm not telling you that they don't matter. I'm not telling you that they have no meaning. I'm not telling you any of that. They obviously are part of Scripture, so they have importance. They're just something we've already talked about recently, and it was two verses, and I just kind of felt like, let's move on to the, to the rest of this. Now, the, the catch to that is, verses 10 through 20 in chapter 5 are stuff we've already talked about too. All right, so the, the, the interesting part of this now and the, the challenge or the, whatever for me now is to talk about things that we've already talked about and maybe talk about it a little bit differently. If nothing else, maybe we just need to hear it again. Solomon thought somebody needed to hear it again. It's the reason he keeps writing about it. So uh, a few years ago, there was a television show I think maybe on the History Channel or the Science Network or something called Mythbusters. Did anybody ever watch Mythbusters? Interesting that, James, that seems like that'd be right up your alley. I just, you know, these things that we, we kind of think we know, and then these two guys set out to either prove it or to disprove it. And they do all these scientific experiments and they'd blow things up and they'd shoot, you know, cannons across stuff and they'd race cars at a thousand miles. I mean, all of these crazy things and their goal was to either prove a myth or disprove something that was out there uh, that, that people believed. It was a, it was a really fascinating show. Um, I don't know, I guess it went off the air. I guess people quit watching it, whatever. But it was a really, really neat thing. Um, and so today, Solomon is going to talk to us about a thing that he's already talked to us about twice. We're just in chapter 5, and this is the third time he's going to talk to us about money and the futility of money. He is going to go at it from a little bit different perspective, though, today. Today, he is going to be the myth buster. He's going to be the myth buster. He's going to tell you all the things that people think about money, and then he's going to disprove every one of them. All right, so that's his approach today. That's his plan today. Now... Money is one of those things that's always not real fun to talk about in church, right? Everybody just assumes, well, here we go again, another lesson on money. And look, I'm just the messenger, okay? So if, if you don't like talking about money in church, take it up with the guy that wrote the book, because I'm just talking about what he talked about, okay? So now, let's talk about this. Let's get into this here for just a minute. Again, this is the third time in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 3, he talked about it. It's actually the fourth time because in chapter 4, he talked about working versus being lazy. This is a theme. This is something that Solomon is passionate about and fully understands. And I promise you, nobody knows more about money and how it doesn't meet his needs more than Solomon. Nobody's got more than Solomon. 
Solomon has the most of anybody that lived at this time. He had lots of things. And yet none of it provided this satisfaction for him. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, I know y'all are all going to be very familiar with this. There was a rapper named Notorious B.I.G. Y'all are all, y'all probably all have his CD in your car right now. He came up with a song called, a, a rap called Mo Money, Mo Problems. Right? And so today, that's kind of, that's kind of Solomon's theme too. Mo Money, Mo Problems. The more money you have, the more problems you have. And look, at the end of the day, if I gave you the choice, you can be flat broke for the rest of your life or you can be loaded. Anybody going to choose broke? Anybody? We all think that it has to be so much better to be just rolling in money. Solomon's going to sort of disprove that a little bit today. Now, here's the thing. You need money. We all need money. You got to eat. You got to turn. You got to have lights. You got to drive. I mean, we got to... It is a necessary thing, but now... I was talking about it with Kim this morning, and she said, I, I said, just trying to bait a little bit, I said, you know, money's evil. And what did she say? No, Scripture says the love of money is evil. And I just clapped. I said, good, you, you passed the test, right? It, that, that's what it's all about. So today we're going to talk about love of money. We're going to talk about how it doesn't meet our needs. And we're going to finish again, just like we have every other time we've talked about money, with his goal is for us to be content with what we have, to be content with what we have. So let's jump in. Chapter 5, starting in verse 10. The book of Ecclesiastes. We're reaching the halfway point, y'all. We're getting closer. All right, so starting in verse 10. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Well, that's a pretty good way to start right there, right? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owners to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came, and he will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation. That's a good word right there. Sickness and anger. Now, verses 18 through 20 are sort of a summation from Solomon here. He says, here is what I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life. And here's, here's, a, here's a key right here. Which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. 
Interesting thing there in the, in the summation of this, those last three verses, verses 18, verses 19, verses 20, we see God mentioned three times. Y'all know Solomon is kind of hit or miss with his talk of God in this book. But here at the end of this chapter, again, after he talks about money and all of its evils, really the love of money and all of its evils, he then concludes with all of this comes from God and you just got to stop and enjoy it. It's not the first time we've talked about this. It won't be the last, okay? So just know that somewhere down the road, it's coming again. But let's look real quick today. Here are four myths, four myths that I see that Solomon comes completely against. The first myth is wealth will completely satisfy you in all things. Wealth will completely satisfy you in all things. If I just had more. If I just had more. Look, if I was rich, if I had all this money, life would be great. I'd have a wonderful car. I'd have a wonderful home, even bigger than the one I got. I'd have a nicer car than the one I've got. I'd have nicer clothes. I'd have more shoes than I have now. Some of y'all are thinking that's not possible, but I would. I'd have more shoes. Life, y'all, would be grand. All I had was a few more dollars. Now look, that's on top of the fact that God has already blessed me and God has already blessed you tremendously, right? You are blessed to live, and we, we've talked about this before. Even if you're on the low end in this country of the uh, you know, financial line, you're on the high end for the whole world. You're, you're in a top 10% of all wage earners in the entire world, if, just about if you live in this country, period. Okay, so we, have, we are blessed. God is taking care of us. But now the truth is wealth does not satisfy. As a matter of fact, listen, right away, verse 10, he wastes no time. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. I'm not real smart. Okay, I'm just not. I don't, you don't have to be real smart to get that. Right? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. That is about as clear as it can possibly be. That if you set out and your goal is to, to, to have more and you give up things. Look, here's the thing, y'all, and this is so fascinating. There are people out there who treat money the same way that you treat your relationship with God. I see those looks. I want you to bear with me on this and think with me for just a minute. They worship it. All they can talk about, all they can think about is how much they have, how much they want to have, how much they're going to have, what they're going to do to get it, what's going to take place. I sat in a, I'm going to physical therapy for my shoulder right now. Uh, I got some, got some shoulder issues trying to get that worked out. And I listen, I, I just listen a lot. There's lots of conversations happening all over the room. And there was a guy in the room, I think maybe it was a real estate guy. I, I, I met him, talked to him, but I didn't know what he did. And I, he, all he talked about, <laughs> all he talked about was this and that, and I'm buying this and selling this, and we're doing this. I, it's, I mean, literally the extent of the conversation that was going on. Look, it's his job. I'm not, I'm not bashing him. I'm just telling you, there are people out there, that's all they talk about. They worship it. They talk about it. They think about it nonstop. Just the way that we're supposed to worship our God. The second thing is they sacrifice for it. 
Look, you've all heard the stories. You know people. Maybe, maybe you, at, at some point in your life, this was even you. You've given up family time. You've given up the weekend with the kids. You've given up all, all for the sake of making a few more dollars. And there are people, I promise you, I guarantee you with 100% certainty that there are people out there right now that are more concerned about making more money than they are with taking care of their family, being there for their family. So they worship it. They sacrifice for it, and then they think that it will never fail. Just like we know that our God will never fail, right? Our, our God, the Scripture is clear. God's never going to fail us. He's never going to break a promise. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. They view their money the same way we view our relationship with God. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to say this. This is for free. If most of us viewed our relationship with God the same way that some people view their relationship with money, the church would be a better place today. Right? So we have to understand that, okay? So at the end of the day, Solomon says it will not satisfy. We can't be satisfied by this one thing. Why? Because you were designed to be fulfilled. You were designed to find contentment in something other than financial gain right so this is this is funny to me the both commentaries that I study from mention Rockefeller John Rockefeller as examples in, in talking about money and the first one mentioned him in this capacity wealth can never satisfy John Rockefeller was asked towards the end of his life he said you've made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars before millions and millions were I mean they were really a lot back in the day not that they're not a lot today, but you understand. And he, said they, he was asked what time, of all the money you've ever made, of all the millions you've ever made, which is the most impactful and which is your favorite? Anybody know what his answer was? The next one. The next one. It didn't matter if he had 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 25 million, he was still out there looking for the next one. And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you another example of John Rockefeller that's going to just totally help you understand this even better. But look, that's the way some people operate. I, can't, I don't have enough. I need more. And look, I'm not saying that it's not good to have more money because obviously in the culture and the, 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 envir the financial environment we live in today, I mean, everything is so stupid expensive. Things that, I mean, it's just crazy how much, it, how, how much it costs to buy groceries, how much it costs to go out to eat. For a family of four to go to McDonald's used to be $15, $18. It's $35 or $40 now for the four of four Spikeners to go to McDonald's to eat. I promise you it's not worth $40. It's just not. Chick-fil-A is pushing $50 for four people. We're talking, we're talking fast. I'm not talking about going somewhere and sitting down and ordering a steak. <laughs> kind of does. A steak does, for sure. Um, but, y'all, that's just where we are. So I'm not saying that money's bad. And so, hey, look, really, Solomon's not either. But what does he say? He says the same thing right there in verse 10. He who loves money, and there it is, he who loves money, he who sacrifices for it, he who worships it, he who, he who only thinks about it, he who uh, is willing to sacrifice and give up good things so they can have more money will never find satisfaction in this place. Money or wealth will never completely satisfy. 
Matter of fact, at the end of this, y'all, he says this too is vanity. You remember all the way back to the beginning of this? In this talk about Ecclesiastes, we used a word, hevel, H-E-V-E-L, and that was the Hebrew word, and it just basically meant useless, meaningless. He says here, this is futility. This is, this is hevel to just think that money's going to provide and meet every need that you have. The second thing, kind of the same similar thing, but in verse 11, we see this, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? And, and the, the, the myth that he, that he talks about here really is money fixes everything. Not only does it satisfy, but now it, it fixes everything. And look, if your car's broke, what you got to have? You can't take them. You can't, there was a time you could take them some corn and chickens and they'd, they'd fix your car for you. That's not how the world works anymore. You better have some cash or a check or a credit card or something that somebody's going to give them some money so they'll fix your stuff. Money doesn't fix it, but you got, you got to have some to get by, right? So he says here, this is interesting. Now watch what happens in verse 11. He said, when good things increase. In other words, in verse 10, you've chased more money. And in verse 11, he says, basically, you found it. But now here, when good things increase, when you have more money, when you think you're better off, he says, in the next line, he says this, those who consume them increase. I think of this, and I, I, I hear, you think about, I think about professional athletes. That when they, when they go through, of course now they're making tons of money in college, but when they get to the point when they're making a lot of money at the professional level, they instantly have more friends than they had before they had money. They all, these athletes, they have, they have their, their posses, their groups that, that follow them around, that, that support, support them. And, and encourage them and are there to be friends with them. And y'all, there are stories you could read for, for hours about athletes. They say the average athlete is, is broke within five years of retirement. They, they spend all their money. And look, here's, here's, a, here's a good financial truth for you this morning. It doesn't matter how much you make. If you spend more than you make, you're going to be broke. You, you can make $100 a week. And if you spend 150, you broke. Now here's the thing: you can make 100 million dollars a week, and you may think, "How in the world would anybody ever spend it?" I don't know. I just know they do. The the, the commentary told this morning uh, the story of a man named Bernie Kosar. Anybody remember Bernie Kosar? Bernie Kosar was a quarterback in the 80s, early 80s, mid 80s. He played at the University of Miami. Was then drafted, played in the NFL, played, for, I think, for the Cleveland Browns. Made tens of millions of dollars in his football career. And then after that, he was a successful business guy who made another several million dollars as a businessman. And somewhere along about the age of 50, he had to file for bankruptcy. And he, somebody asked him, said, how? How did you get to this point? How can, what can we learn from you? He said, listen, he said, all I know is at some point I was paying 60 people's cell phone bills. I paid every month for 60 cell phones. But did you use them? No, I had one. So he says here, what does he say? Let's read verse 11. Let's tie that together. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. The other commentary said leeches. Use the word leeches 
to those, those, those dirty little things that will take all you have and, and drain you dry. You're, you're financially just going to be completely broke. And again, the truth is, no matter how much money you make, if you spend more than you make, you're going to run out. And if you feel that the need to have to supply everybody's needs and meet everybody's needs and take care of everybody around you, guess what? You're also going to run out. Money leads to friendships that aren't real. <laughs> Money leads to relationships that aren't real. They're, they, maybe, I mean, I don't have that much money, so I don't, I don't have anybody leeching off me. I mean, except two teenagers. Um, but they're not even bad. I mean, they're really not. Ben's paying for his own prom ticket. Never even asked for money for a prom ticket. And it's crazy. All right, it's fine. Um, that, was, that was completely for free. I just completely got off topic there altogether. But now listen, if you end up with a lot of money or you know somebody's got a lot of money, you know somebody that has people that's chasing after them saying, can you help me with this? Can you provide? Can you meet this need? Can you do? Can you help? Money does not fix everything. And this fear in us kind of begins to actually lead to an insecurity, sort of this what if regarding your money, which leads us to our next myth. And in in honor of our our friend, Notorious B.I.G., I wrote here, Mo Money, Mo Peace. Mo Money, Mo Peace. The next myth that we're going to look at, the more money you have, the more you never feel worried about anything. You just constantly have peace. You don't worry. You don't fret. I got all the money in the world. Life is good. And look, those of us who aren't rich, that's how we oftentimes look at those who have a lot of money. We think, man, they got it made. They got it made. They live in this million-dollar house or $10 million house. One of my favorite things that I get on, on, on Facebook is these reels. I get celebrity houses. I don't know how I started getting celebrity houses, but it's just helicopters flying over celebrities' houses and telling you how much they cost. I don't know why I get those, but I'm fascinated. I just keep watching one after the other. One, I'm, and First of all, I'm amazed at who, who counts as a celebrity these days. But just scroll, and it's amazing. $10 million house, $40 million house, $17 million house. Some of them are slumming it, like $6 million house. I don't know, I don't know how they even get by on just a $6 million house. But listen, security does not come. Peace does not come from how much you have in the bank. I mean, it can help. It can make you feel like you don't have things to worry about when it comes to finances. Where does peace come from? As a believer, the only place that we find peace is through a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You can have billions of dollars and not feel peace. You can own all the land in Tuscaloosa County and have money in the bank like it's running out, of, out your ears, and you can still not feel peace because just as he said in that first little passage, right, peace doesn't come from this. Security doesn't come from this. Well, all of these things, they don't come. We're, we're looking for that thing. And Solomon's, that's when we get back to love of money. When it becomes that thing that we're pursuing with all that we have, then we, we love it more than we love anything else. 
We have this gap in our heart, in our, this, this hole. You've heard this analogy hundreds of times, and there's only one thing that can go in it. This God-sized hole that is in the middle of our spirit, and the only thing that will satisfy, the only thing that will meet that need is God. And you can have all the money, you can go get every gold coin out of every bank, out of every, uh, in, in, in the world, and you're not, if you don't have Christ, you're not going to understand true peace and true comfort and true joy and true contentment, which is where we're eventually going to end up here this morning. So in verse 12, he says, The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. So, the sleep of the working man is pleasant. Now, notice this first and foremost. He doesn't call the working man rich. There's a clear division between working man and rich man, which is fine, right? I'm, I'm content to be a working man all day long, right? But working man is not rich man. The division there is pretty clear. But notice all the, also this, the working man does what? He eats what he has, and he lays down and goes to sleep. First and foremost, because he's tired, because he's worked, he's done, a, he's done an honest day's work, he's done a hard day's work, he's gotten paid for it, he's provided for his family, they've had a meal together, even if it wasn't the most elaborate meal in the whole world. And he's gone and he's laid down tired, he's gone and he's laid down content, and he's gone and lay down happy because he's met the needs of his family that day. Then it talks about the rich man. Again, clear that the working man and the rich man are not the same. The rich man, it says, goes and the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Now this poor rich guy has overindulged. He's taking adva taken advantage of his richness, and it's led him, I mean, it, the way it makes it sound is just to overeat, right? He's just eaten so much, he's just, and he, and he lays down, and he's miserable. A, I think because he didn't do a hard day's work, he just had it. B, maybe it's even a little bit of guilt at what he has sat down to eat. But three, at the end of the day, I think this is more about the, the, the worry about whether he's going to be able to do it the next day. Because when you, when you eat well, sometimes you want to eat better. I almost said weller, and that's not right. You want to eat better. Well, if that was good, what can I do tomorrow to top that? Well, I've had that. What's, let's, what, else can, what else is there, right? You're not just content to eat what's available. So you're worried then about the next thing. Now, I mentioned earlier John Rockefeller. Right, And so another example here is, is this. John Rockefeller, though he was rich, was not a healthy guy. He had stomach issues. He had, he had all kinds of issues. Most of his meals consisted just of either water and milk and crackers. I know what milk, milk when you have an upset stomach doesn't sound like a thing to me. I'm just, just telling you what I read, okay? But he had a lot of crackers he had a lot of water, I drank a lot of water, drank a lot of milk because he just, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't sit down and even eat a meal. And ultimately it's because he was so afraid of losing all that he had. 
Now, I told you a while ago, they asked him what his favorite million was, and he said the next one, right? He's not content. He's not happy with the one he just got or the, or the one that he earned the first one. Somebody said the first one a while ago. That would have been a really great answer. He's so uptight and so wound up over whether he's got enough, whether he's going to make more, whether this is ever going to run out. Truthfully, he, he was never going to run out, right? But now, let me tell you what happened to Mr. Rockefeller towards the end of his life. He established, he realized, he, he came to the conclusion that he needed to quit worrying. And you know what he actually started doing? Instead of keeping and hoarding and, and, and setting aside all of his money for later, he actually started giving money away. He became a very generous man towards the end of his life. And when he did, all of his stomach problems went away. Stress, the worry that he was putting in over all of this was, was eating, literally, literally eating at him from the inside. He ended up living to 90 years old when all of those years he had all of those health problems. Once he realized that I'm not finding my peace, this is not taking care of my problems, this is not giving me all of the things I need to make my life better, this is not the answer. Only then did he realize that there was another way. There was a better way. And look, I'm talking about his life. I'm not even talking about the Christian life. I'm not even talking about in terms of he, he found Christ and found true peace. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about once his love of money quit overrunning and overwhelming his life, just from a non-Christian standpoint, his life was better. So now think about this for a minute. Think about from the Christian standpoint, what if we love Christ the way these people talk about money? What if we love each other the way these people talk about money? What if, what if we looked for peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction in Christ rather than things? Our lives would be totally different. There's a quote here, and you're going to get another Wearsby quote here in a minute. At the end of this section, Wearsby says, yes, it's good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. Y'all hear that? That's good. It's okay to have the things that money can buy, as long as you don't lose the things that money can't buy. And y'all, in our, in our lives, those relationships, those people around us, our relationship with Christ, our service of the Lord, our, our, our joy and, and peace that only comes from Him. Those are things that you can't go to the store and purchase. You can't go and order a, a, a to-go order of peace and just bring it home and have it. But, so, but it's, he's, he's not saying money is bad. He's saying that when you put it above everything else, that's when it becomes a problem. The last passage here, verses 13 through 17. Wealth does not equal security. So, so far we've talked about peace. We've talked about uh, satisfaction. We've talked about fixing. And now we talk about security. This one he spreads out a little bit. Verses 13 through 17, he says, There's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. 
And as he had come from come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. What advantage is it to him who toils for the wind? So, so this passage points to two scenarios. The second one we'll look at in just a minute. But the first one is a man who has riches, a man who hoards them, but makes a bad investment, it says. Makes a bad choice with his money, and then all of a sudden, all of his money is gone. And all of the security, all of the, all of the peace, all of the other things that he had, the relationship is gone. Solomon points out that he was born naked, and he's going to die with absolutely nothing. He's going to leave the world just as he came in. We've talked about this before. There's no trailer hitch on a hearse, right? You don't get to carry all your stuff with you. Steve Jobs died with a, with a, 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 a value, a, a wealth of $10 billion. You know how much he's got with him today? None. Somebody else is off spending his money that he worked hard for and he earned. We don't get to carry it with us. And Solomon just basically asked the question, what is the advantage to him who toils after the wind? The second scenario, look at verse 17. Throughout his life, so once that happens, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. So he talks about a man here who literally is now in isolation. There's no, no security. There's no, there's no people around. Now he's literally in isolation. And look, there, there's not many things that sound worse really and truly than isolation at all times. He's eating in darkness. He's, he's, he had plenty of money. He lost it. He had nothing he left. No security, no family, nothing. So now here's, here's Solomon's conclusion. Now he, he turns to verses 18 through 20. And this is important. Solomon's not saying that money is bad. Solomon's not saying that wealth is bad. He's not promoting wealth. He's not promoting poverty. They both have... Thank you. Never sneezed into a microphone before. They both have their own challenges. And again, most of us, if I gave you the choice, you're going to choose rich over poor. That's just the way we go. But we don't think about the challenges that come from wealth. But here's what he's doing. He, again, is simply warning us against the love of money and the delusion that money will fix everything. He concludes with this, this point again. He points again to contentment. I mentioned earlier in the last three verses, 18, 19, and 20, he points to God three times. He points to God three times. Everything you have comes from God. You should stop. You should enjoy. You should take time to relish in the things that you have which God has given you. Nothing you have didn't, it all came from God. I was about to get into a bunch of double negatives there, but everything you had comes from God. He has, He is, He will meet your needs so stop trying to do his job. Stop trying to do his job. He's going to take care of you. Scripture's clear. He's going to meet your needs, and he's going to meet them above and beyond what you think it should be. So let him. When we get into things like that, we get into places where we're saying, I don't trust you, God. I've got to go figure it out for myself. I've got to go get this done for myself. Lord, I don't need you to handle it. I got it. 
And when we do, we're putting our love, our faith, our trust in us and in those things more than anything else. I want to finish with this. I actually brought the book to read it to you. Wearsby. I love Wearsby. Y'all know I love Wearsby. I talk about Warren Wearsby a lot. Um, one of the, the commentaries I, I read every week, the, the stuff from Warren Wearsby. Um, but he says this. This is good. This is so good. He says, if we focus more on the gifts than on the giver, we're guilty of idolatry. If we accept His gifts but complain about them, we're guilty of ingratitude. If we hoard His gifts and will not share them with others, we are guilty of indulgence. But if we yield to His will and use what He gives us for His glory, then we can enjoy life and be satisfied. Right? That's, that's so good. That's, that's so full. That's so rich. Stop trying, to, stop trying to keep it all for yourself. Stop trying to do it all on your own. Stop trying to hoard everything and save it for another day, thinking that it's going to run out. Because God is pretty clear in Scripture. All the way back to the, to, the, to the Israelites in the wilderness, right? God met their needs every single day. He's going to meet yours every single day. Love Him first. Put Him first. Be content with what He has, what has given you what you have. Be content with those things. Stop and enjoy the blessings of life that He has given you. That's so much better. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.